Guardian Unlimited. Questions to the Prime Minister. David Burrows. Mr. Speaker, sir, first of all, I know the whole House will want to join with me in sending our deep condolences to the family and friends of Major Paul Harding of the 1st Battalion, the Rifles, Corporal John Rigby of the 4th Battalion, the Rifles, both of whom died in Iraq, and drummer Thomas Wright of the 1st Battalion, the Worcestershire and Sherwood Foresters Regiment. All three of them were outstanding soldiers and will be deeply missed. And, Mr. Speaker, since this is the last time that this, the saddest of duties, falls to me, I hope the House will permit me just to say something about our armed forces and not just about the three individuals that have fallen in the last week. I have never come across people of such sustained dedication, courage and commitment. I am truly sorry about the dangers that they face today in Iraq and Afghanistan I know some may think that they face these dangers in vain. I don't, and I never will. I believe they are fighting for the security of this country and the wider world against people who would destroy our way of life. But whatever view people take of my decisions, I think there is only one view to take of them. They are the bravest and the best. Yeah. Before listing my engagements, also, can I thank you, Mr. Speaker, since it's the last time I'll be able to do so for your gentle courtesy and kind forbearance to me over the years. <laughs> I've in need of both. And now to my engagements. This morning I had meetings of ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I will have no such further meetings today <laughs> or any other day. I thank the Prime Minister for that uh, comprehensive answer to his engagements. May I uh, um, also, uh, I'm sure the whole House, uh, join in wishing to associate ourselves with those uh, words of condolences. In 1997, the Prime Minister said that there were 24 hours to save the NHS. Why is it that uh, more than 87,600 87, hours later, his successor is indicating there's still a need to save the NHS? And given that Enfield Chase Farm Hospital is tomorrow publishing plans to cut maternity and A&E services, in the next 24 hours with a new Prime Minister, will it be more or less likely that local health services will be saved? Yeah. Let me just point out to the Honourable Gentleman that he knows that the proposals for the hospitals in his constituency were reviewed by Sir George Alberti, who is someone who has spent a whole lifetime of service in the National Health Service, and he said, put starkly, it is evident that high-quality modern care cannot be provided for all specialties in all three acute hospitals in the area, and therefore he said specifically that there had to be change. But that change goes alongside 26 different facilities and schemes that have opened with a value of 1.7 billion in his area. <laughs> Thousands more staff. And whereas in 1997, people used to wait over 18 months for their operation, people used to die on waiting lists, now those waiting lists are at record lows. Yeah. <laughs> The Prime Minister can relax because I will not ask him about Venezuela today, but uh, <laughs> Mr Speaker, like thousands of other parents, I've uh, watched anxiously as my daughter prepared for her exams, but when the GCSE results come out in August, we can safely predict that any rise in pass rates will provoke the Conservatives and their media allies into devaluing the work of teachers and young people. So if in response I state our socialist belief 
that education is a path that should be open to the many, not the few. Yeah. Would the Prime Minister... Order. Order. I've got to hear a question. I Sorry. haven't heard the question. Would, would the Prime Minister... Would the Prime Minister, as one comrade to another, at last agree with me on something and thus ensure his place in history? Thank you. Um, well, first of all, uh, let, let me shock my honourable friend uh, by saying that the definition of socialism that he has just given, that it is for the many and not the few, is one I wholeheartedly share. Um, can I secondly say to him, however, that it is absolutely right that we recognise that the reason why results are better is not because of a downgrading of the exams, but because our pupils are performing better as a result of the investment and changes that have gone into our school system. The fact is the exams are monitored by a wholly independent body. And the other fact that is necessary to point out is that whereas in 1997 just over 80 schools got over 70% five good GCSEs in England, the figure today is over 600. That is the difference investment and reform has made. Yeah. David Cameron. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I, thank you, Mr. Speaker. I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Major Paul Harding, Corporal John Rigby, and dr drummer Thomas Wright, who died serving their country in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I think the Prime Minister was absolutely right to put on record, once again, the huge debt that we all owe to our armed forces. Their professionalism, their courage, their heroism is a constant source of inspiration and pride throughout our country. Before I wish the Prime Minister well for the future, I would like to um, ask some questions about the floods in Britain and the situation uh, in the Middle East. On the floods, four people have lost their lives, thousands of homes have been flooded, and many people are in temporary accommodation. The emergency services are clearly doing an incredible job. Will the government ensure they have all the support they need and that the local authorities under the greatest pressure get all that they require? First of all, um, in respect of the, the, the flooding, it, he, it, it has, as he rightly says, um, meant that four lives have been lost. I think we should all send our condolences and sympathy to the families of those that have, have lost their lives. And in respect of, of what we, we now have to do, I mean, we have increased um, the amount of money for our coastal defence protection to uh, somewhere in the region, I think, of £600 million a year now. Uh, we are doing an immense amount for uh, the future to make sure that, that we have proper provision in place. I'm afraid it is something where we're going to have to spend a lot more money and invest a lot more in the years to come. But in addition to that, of course, under the Belwyn scheme, uh, it will be open to the local authorities to get reimbursed for the additional costs that they've got. And I know that these uh, requests will be looked at sympathetically. It is a very difficult situation. There are thousands of properties um, that have been affected, and I'm afraid hundreds of millions of pounds worth of damage that has been caused. But we will, of course, do everything we can in conjunction with the Environment Agency and the local authorities to try and improve the situation. David Cameron. I'm grateful for that answer. Yesterday, the Environment Secretary rightly praised the work of the RAF. He said that Armed Forces Liaison Officers were ready to provide support if necessary, but otherwise there was no need for any further Army deployment. Can the Prime Minister assure us that, if necessary, that decision can be changed and that military resources can be deployed? Well, it, we, we will, of course, uh, keep that decision under review and any further resources that are necessary uh, we, we will put in. It is worth pointing out, and, and, and he's right to do so, that not merely have our um, armed forces, in this case the RAF, played a very important role for which we thank them, but also the emergency service as a whole have responded to this crisis in the most exemplary manner, as indeed they always do. Come on. 
Thank you. Can I turn to an issue that might be relevant to the Prime Minister's future? Clearly, this is a very difficult time in the Middle East with the desperate situation in the Gaza Strip and instability in the West Bank, all against the backdrop of a Palestinian economy that has failed to develop. Can the Prime Minister tell us what his first priority will be if and when he takes on this new role? The, the absolute uh, priority is to try to give effect um, to what is now the consensus across the international community that the only way of bringing stability and peace to the Middle East is a two-state solution, which means a, a state of Israel that is secure and confident of its security and a Palestinian state that is not merely viable in terms of its territory but in terms of its institutions and governance. I believe it is possible to do that, but it will require a huge intensity of focus and work. David Cameron. When it comes to the Palestinian territories, clearly on everyone's mind in this country is the fact that Alan Johnston is still in captivity. All of us who saw that chilling video uh, will feel enormous sympathy for him, for his family, for his colleagues. His continued captivity is utterly senseless and serves no cause. Will the Prime Minister agree with me that as many Palestinians have demonstrated in the territories and actually here in Britain that their interests can best be served if he is released immediately? Um, I should say, in respect of uh, Alan Johnson, we deeply regret the fact of his continued um, imprisonment, and we are working closely with the BBC uh, and with the Palestinian Authority to do everything we can to secure his release, and it is absolutely right. I'm sure the majority of Palestinian people um, want to see him released, and I think it is worth simply pointing out as well, I mean, he was a journalist doing a job as a journalist. Um, it, it, it is completely without any justification at all um, to take him as a target uh, for any action of whatever nature. And I would also simply point out that I believe for the majority of Palestinian and Israeli people, they want to see a situation where hostage-taking and violence is a thing of the past and the two groups of people can live together in peace. Thank you. On behalf of everyone on these benches, can I congratulate him on his remarkable achievement of being Prime Minister for ten years? For, for all of the heated battles across this dispatch box, for 13 years he has led his party, for ten years he has led our country, and no one can be in any doubt in terms of the huge efforts he has made in terms of public service. He has considerable achievements to his credit, whether it is peace in Northern Ireland, whether it is his work in the developing world, which I know will endure. I'm sure that life in the public eye has sometimes been tough on his family. So can I say on behalf of my party that we wish him and his family well and we wish him every success in whatever he does in the future. Um, let me thank him for those very uh, generous sentiments. Um, and may I say that for all the political disagreements between us, um, I think it is always important to be able to work with people on issues of national importance across the political divide, and I have always found him most proper, correct, and courteous in his dealings with me, and I thank him for that. And although, of course, I cannot wish him well politically, nonetheless, um, personally, I wish both him and his family very well indeed. Kevin Barron. My right honourable friend will know I have not made a habit in the last ten years of standing up at Prime Minister's Question Time and praising him and his government for the good work that's been done in the Rother Valley over the last ten years. A constituency that was ravaged by the pit closure programme of the previous government and the underinvestment in the public services. Will he agree with me today that the investment that this government's put in the public services has served my constituents well in the last three days? Many hundreds of them have been removed from their homes because of the flooding in the villages of Catcliffe, Treaton and Whiston, 
Uh, will he make sure that his predecessor gets the priorities right as government... <laughs> Sorry. Should I say that his predecessor, who didn't get their priorities right, to make sure that his successor does? Well, uh, can I say to my honourable friend, first of all, to express my sympathy to those of his constituents that have been uh, displaced by the floods, and secondly, to, to, to thank him um, in respect of what he said about the, the government's record investment in communities like his. Um, in these former mining communities, the truth is there's been an enormous amount of regeneration. And in addition to that, one of the things that I think we can count as a very proud achievement are the thousands of former miners who have been paid compensation, something that has amounted now to several billion pounds and something I really do not believe would have happened under any other government than a Labour government. Campbell. May I join the Prime Minister in his expressions of sympathy and condolence and also his generous tribute to Britain's armed forces. Is he satisfied that proper provision is being made for those servicemen and women who have suffered both physical and psychological injury as a result of their service in Iraq and Afghanistan? What assurances can he give to them and their families that they will not be forgotten? On, uh, Monday evening, I had in Downing Street a reception for those staff who work in the medical services for our armed forces, both those staff employed by our armed forces and those in the National Health Service. I have to say, I think they are an immensely committed group of people. I think they do a wonderful job for our armed forces. And I think both um, at Headley Court, at Selly Oak, uh, in Peterborough, in the many different facilities up and down this country, I think we do our level best to provide the highest quality of care for them. And of course we should continue to do so even after they are discharged from hospital. As the Prime Minister knows, he and I have had a number of disagreements, not least upon Iraq. But in relation to our personal dealings, he has been unfailingly courteous, and I would like to express my gratitude to him for that. Uh, as he leaves office, may I, on behalf of my colleagues, extend our very best wishes to him and his family. I thank you for that, and let me return the compliment to him, because I think, again, whatever differences uh, we have had politically, I don't think anybody in this House would think that he is a person other than one of generosity of spirit and courtesy. Thank you. Jeremy Corbyn. Three, Mr. Speaker. Number three. Um, the numbers of UK forces in Iraq depend on the conditions in Iraq. The numbers of forces have come down from 9,000 to 7,000 to 5,500. Um, when in the next few weeks we are able to complete a further phase of withdrawal, they will come down even further. But they must come down as and when the security conditions allow. We have already handed over responsibility for several of the provinces that used to be under our control to the Iraqi forces. The 10th Division is now operating very effectively down in Basra, so we will be able to do more in the near future, but it must be dependent on the security circumstances. I thank the Prime Minister for that answer. Would he recognise that in the United States the Congress has voted for the withdrawal of US forces and only a presidential veto is preventing that from happening and that overwhelmingly British public opinion uh, wants the British troops to be withdrawn and the occupation to end? Does he not think that it is time to give a timetable to bring the troops out of Iraq? Um, I'm, I'm afraid I, I don't for the reasons that I have often given. 
And I think what is important is that those people who are fighting us in Iraq, who are people either backed by elements in the Iranian regime who are using terrorism to try and kill our troops, or Al-Qaeda up in Baghdad who are using the most evil carnage through terrorist bombs to kill as many innocent civilians as they possibly can. Those two elements that we're fighting, we're fighting the world over. We will not beat them by giving in to them. We will only beat them by standing up to them. And Winterton. Mr. Speaker, is the Prime Minister aware that when troops are eventually withdrawn from Iraq, that will be the most dangerous time and unless there is peace in Iraq, which at present uh, seems unlikely. Will he, or perhaps, uh, Mr Speaker, even his successor, ensure that by then our troops are properly equipped to fight a counter-insurgency war rather than just a conventional war? I, I don't I have to say except that our troops are not properly equipped. Indeed, every time these claims are made, um, we look into them and find that actually when urgent operational requirements are made, we do our level best to meet them. Our troops are, in fact, extremely well equipped. However, uh, she is right in this sense that it is important that we judge when it is right to leave Iraq in relation to the security circumstances that exist. The fact is Basra is different from Baghdad. Uh, the, most of the attacks that happen now in Basra are actually <coughs> aimed at British troops. The sectarian levels of violence have dis uh, declined very sharply. Up in Baghdad, however, it is a different situation altogether. But whether in Basra or Baghdad, it is on the basis that we meet the criteria we have set out for the Iraqis being able to handle their own security. Those are the criteria that have to be met for withdrawal, no other criteria. And of course we will make sure between now and that time we give our troops every form of, of, of um, equipment that they, they need. Indeed, just recently, for example, in the main base in Basra, um, there have been substantial additional protections given against some of the incoming indirect fire. And Right Honourable Friend, welcome the findings of the weekend of the Iraqi Higher Tribunal, which found Ali Hassan al-Majid, Chemical Ali, guilty of genocide and the killing of 180,000 Kurds. Can I assure him that many, many people in Iraq salute the Prime Minister's courage and leadership, without which this regime would never have been brought to justice? I thank my friend, my honourable friend for that, and I think what is important to, to, to emphasise is that even as we try to deal with this new situation in Iraq that is about terrorism visited in very substantial part by outside elements on the country, we should never forget the hundreds of thousands of people that died in Iraq under Saddam, including those who died um, through the use of chemical weapons, nor indeed the one million casualties of the Iran-Iraq war. Paul Rowan. After 10 years of a Labour government, why is it that the educational achievement of white British boys is still so low? It has gone up, of course, enormously over uh, the past 10 years. And one of the reasons why we now have the best results at the age of 11 for primary schools, the best results for GCSEs. In fact, in his own constituency, there's been a remarkable increase in the numbers getting five good GCSEs over the past few years and the best results at A-level is because of the investment in our education system. And I agree entirely that we have to make sure um, that those educational benefits are spread right across the country and into all 
groups of people. But I think he'd be hard put if he looked at education in his constituency not to say that over the past 10 years it has got significantly better and significantly better precisely because of the investment that we put in and actually, if I may say so, the reform that he opposed. Richard Budden. Can I thank my right honourable friend for the huge contribution he's made, not only to the success of our party, but to the transformation of our country. And at a personal level, I'd like to pay tribute to his work and indeed the work of the Chancellor in standing by the communities of South West Birmingham following the collapse of MG Rover two years ago. Looking to his future, though, would he agree with me that the Quartet has potentially got a crucial role to play in bringing peace to the Middle East, and that one of the lessons of the Northern Ireland peace process is that for peace to be successful, we not only need to involve friends, but to reach out to hardliners. Well, um, first of all, um, I agree entirely, obviously, with what my uh, honourable friend says about the, the importance um, of bringing peace to the Middle East and as I learnt in respect of Northern Ireland, it's important um, to be in a position where we bring people together, um, including people that have been very hostile towards each other. That is the whole basis of the peace process. Can I also thank him for the kind words that he said in relation to the closure of Longbridge in his constituency, and he's absolutely right. I think there's 85% of the workforce that have now uh, found a job, and I congratulate him on that. And I feel a certain solidarity uh, for them since I received the uh, following communication that came across by urgent letter yesterday. Details of employee leaving work. <laughs> Surname Blair, first name T. Um, it said actually Mr. Mrs. Miss or other. <laughs> this form is important to you. Take good care of it. P45. Richard Younger Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Would the Prime Minister say. Thank you. Would the Prime Minister say what advice he would give his successor on the relationship between faith and state, in particular regard to his successor's reported views on the disestablishment of the Church of England? I, don't think I, I think I'm really not bothered about that one. <laughs> oh dear. Mr. Challen. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Uh, rather unnervingly, the last uh, public visitor to number 10 yesterday was the Terminator. <laughs> if, if, like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, my right honourable friend, uh, came back from the future, what would he do to save the planet? <laughs> First of all, let me uh, thank my honourable friend for all the work that he has done in relation to climate change and it is true that myself and the Governor of California had a, um, a, a meeting on, on climate change and what is exciting is the prospect of the United States actually 
joining now with other countries in bringing a global deal to fruition. I think that is the most important priority over the next few years. And interestingly, also when the Governor and I were visiting um, a state primary school in London, he was, uh, I think, taken aback and hugely impressed by the state of the school and the investment in it, and I took some comfort on that as well. Thank you. Sir Nicholas Winterton. I wish the Prime Minister and his family well for the future, but is he aware? that a majority of the people of the United Kingdom feel betrayed by the fact that they're being drawn down further into the suffocating quicksand and expensive bureaucracy of the European Union. If he, Mr. Speaker, if he and his successor genuinely believe in trusting the people of this country as they claim, will they now honour their commitment at the last general election for a referendum to enable the people to decide the new treaty which is in substance the old discredited constitutional treaty? First of all, I like the honourable gentleman, yeah. and uh, what I'm about to say, no disrespect to him at all, but I really believe that the uh, guttural roar from his own benches that greeted his statement, if I were the leader of the Conservative Party, I think I would be worried about that. Uh, and as for his, I'm afraid we can't agree uh, on the treaty, but as for his good wishes to me, may I say to him, uh, au revoir, au revoir, and arrivederci. <laughs> Well, Mr. Mr. Speaker, I only learnt Esperanto, so I can't actually learn that. Mr. Speaker, on behalf of the, the little part of the planet that I represent, thank you to the Prime Minister for what he's done in transforming the lives of so many people in the Brightside constituency and across the world. Mr. Speaker, would the Prime Minister agree that record police numbers Tough new sentences for the most dangerous criminals, zero tolerance of antisocial behaviour, two and a half, together with two and a half million new jobs, record investment in education, and sure start centres across the country is precisely what he meant by tough on crime and tough on the causes of crime. Um. It is correct, of course, that, that uh, crime has fallen over the period of this government, but um, there are still tremendous challenges, as we know, to overcome. However, when I visited my right honourable friend's uh, constituency recently, I was able to see for myself the, the benefits that the antisocial behaviour legislation had brought about, and his role in that when Home Secretary was of immense importance. Uh, and he never forgot either the importance of investing um, in tackling the causes of crime, and I genuinely believe that the focus on early years learning, the Sure Start centres, the children's centres, um, the nursery education and the extension of it and the investment in primary schools, that in time to come, that will stand us in good stead for the future in creating the responsible citizens we all want to see. Tony Baldry. Um, in, the coming, in the coming months, my constituents are faced with the prospect of a serious downgrading 
of our local general hospital. The closure of a number of otherwise perfectly viable local post offices, a failure to deliver on a promised referendum on the European Constitution, and an ever-increasing tax burden. Now, which of these are new Labour and which are unremittingly brown Labour? Well, I think what's new Labour is the fact that within his own area, there is an investment worth literally £485 million in the health service, which has meant that, for example, in his area, the numbers of people waiting for more than 26 weeks has fallen from 27,000 to nil today. Uh, in relation to education, he has had, I think, six new schools, 16 schools rebuilt, and 549 additional or refurbished classrooms in his LA, plus an extra £1,000 funding for his pupils. And in respect of the economy, as opposed to when he was a minister in the previous government, we used to have recession and high interest rates. Under this Chancellor, we've had low interest rates, low unemployment, high employment and a booming economy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My right honourable friend has visited the City of Sheffield on a number of occasions over the past ten years to see for himself the work done by that city in rebuilding itself after the economic devastation of the 1980s. And now, of course, we have to start all over again. On his final day as Prime Minister, can I ask my right honourable friend what message he has for the people of Sheffield? Yeah. <laughs> well, certainly vote Labour, but, but also that I think, as we can see from the investment in the, in the school system in Sheffield today, there is the possibility now of making sure that, that not just those that are comfortably off, but those that come from poorer backgrounds get the chance of world-class education. And that is why it is important to keep this investment programme going and the reform programme, which will deliver over time, as it already is delivering now, but deliver over time for every part of the country a high-quality, indeed a world-class education system. The Reverend Ian Paisley. Could I say to the Prime Minister that I fully understand the exasperation he felt many a day when I visited his <laughs> I understand that he was downcast many a day, understand he was disappointed, understand he was angry, and I understand that perhaps he even lost his temper. But I want, I want to say that he treated me with the greatest of courtesy. I had many things that I disagreed with him on, but we faced them. And I'm glad today that I can stand here and say to the Prime Minister, the people of Northern Ireland felt the same way as he felt. They were angry, they were cross, they lost their temper, they were sad. But we have made progress. Not as great a progress as I would like to see, but they are dedicated. The unionist people that I speak for in this House are dedicated to see this concluded what has started. Mm -hmm. Concluded so that every man and every woman in Ulster will have the same rights, the same liberties and the same opportunities yeah, yeah. to have their lives and have their families and have their futures.
And I just want to say to the Prime Minister <laughs> this one word. He's entered on another colossal task. I hope that what happened in Northern Ireland will be repeated and at the end of the day he'll be able to look back and say it was well worthwhile. I thank him very much indeed for those uh, immensely kind words. Um, I mean, I was waiting for the button. It never came. So uh, I'm... I, I really am most grateful to him, and, and may I say um, from me to him uh, that although this um, will do neither of us good in many quarters, I have to say that I actually found him not merely a very good person to work with, but someone who was completely straight with me all the way through my dealings with him, um, and I wish him the best of luck in the future because he has shown immense courage in what he has done. Yeah. Father of the House. Hey, I apologise for being more political than I normally would, but this is a special occasion. First, may I wish the Prime Minister success and fulfilment in whatever he chooses to do. And may I say I hope what he chooses to do will be something that makes best use of those qualities that brought peace to Northern Ireland. He and I have not always agreed on policy matters, but I have to say to him quite genuinely, he is one of the outstanding Prime Ministers of my political lifetime and without doubt the most politically effective Prime Minister this party has ever had. Yeah. Yeah. May I thank him for leading us out of 18 years of wilderness life on the opposition benches, for leading us successfully through three general elections, for giving us 10 years of government with more to come. Under him, the party has once again become a natural party of government. Yeah. Um, let me thank the, uh, my right honourable friend, the Father of the House, for that, that extraordinary generous remark. And, Mr. Speaker, if I may just uh, finish by saying two very uh, brief remarks. Um, firstly, to, to this House, that um, I've never pretended to be a great House of Commons man, um, but I can pay um, the House the greatest compliment I can by saying that from the first to last I never stopped fearing it. And that tingling apprehension that I felt at three minutes to twelve today, uh, I felt as much ten years ago and every bit as acute. And it is in that fear that the respect is contained. And the second thing I would like to say is about politics and to all my colleagues from different political parties. Um, some may belittle politics, but we know who are engaged in it that it is where people stand tall. And although I know it has its many harsh contentions, it is still the arena that sets the heart beating a little faster. And if it is on occasions the place of low skullduggery, it is more often the place for the pursuit of noble causes. And I wish everyone, friend or foe, well. And that is that the end.
Guardian Unlimited.